back. That takes me back to Hillcrest Church of Christ, Neosho, Missouri, growing up. To Happy Texas, okay. It's a good old song, good old hymn. Foot Stomper. We, uh, for quite a while, we did this uh, powerful prayer series. I think we did, I don't know, I think 25 at least, different prayers from the Bible. Hmm. Maybe turned up a little bit. Okay. Yeah, that's definitely up. <laughs> Is that too high? Is that good? Y'all like that? Okay, that's good. But I think we did like 25 or so powerful prayers of the Bible and probably only, I don't know, scratch the surface. And so we're going to uh, hit a couple of those again. And in fact, I think we may have saved some of our best ones for what's coming up. And we'll have a powerful prayer tonight from the New Testament. Uh, and I, th- I don't know about you, but when I see these prayers of men and women uh, from long ago and what was on their hearts and their relationships with the Lord, I think God has something to show me there. And uh, if, if we'll listen, I think we can learn something and maybe reorient our lives a little bit and maybe tap into that peace uh, that we just prayed for, that peace that passes understanding. Thanks, James, for that prayer. I'll never forget uh, a hot summer, been a few years back. I think I was 16 years old, uh, growing up in the Ozarks, and uh, a couple of my buddies and I, we drove, it's probably about a 20-minute drive down to Elk River to just do a little boating, do a little swimming, just basically hang out and do nothing. That's what you did in the summertime, if you didn't have a job at least. Um, we swam around in the water there underneath a, a trestle bridge, a, a train bridge uh, that was pretty high, maybe, maybe 80 feet up above the water. And under the shadow of the bridge, we're playing, we're swimming, we're dunking each other, doing all that stuff. And then the talk started... Should we climb up that bridge and jump off the bridge? Um, Was the water deep enough? We talked about that for a couple of minutes. Um, Would we be able to jump out far enough to clear the rock and concrete pilings that were holding the bridge up? Um, Would a train come by? (laughs) I mean, because that was an an active train track up there. Would a train come by and... Then you'd have to jump, right, if the train came by. Uh, so those were legitimate questions, and we talked about them. And John and David, two, the two buddies I was with, they decided to go for it, and they started climbing this kind of forested hill to get up there to the top of the bridge and get on there. And uh, basically, you know how this works. I was forced to go. I mean, what am I going to do? Stay down below and be a chicken, you know? So I had to go. And so we climbed up there, and finally we got up to those, those train tracks, and and started walking out to the middle of that bridge, to the middle uh, of the Elk River, where the water presumably was the deepest. And uh, at that point, I'll just let you guys in on something. I probably shared this before, but that is probably my greatest fear. We all have our fears, is fear of heights. That's my greatest fear. In fact, maybe the the most terrified I've ever been was when we went to the top of the Eiffel Tower, Isla and I did. It's been many years back, but we got to go to Europe, and that was great. I did not enjoy going up to the top of the Eiffel Tower at all. Uh, knees get wobbly, get a little short of breath, butterflies in the stomach. I just don't enjoy it. And so I stood up there with my buddies, John and David, looked down at that river flowing <laughs> down below, and it didn't take John long. He said, 
see you guys later. And he went running and jumped off that bridge and went down into the water, disappeared into the inky water for, felt like five or ten seconds. It probably wasn't that long. And then his head popped up and he kind of let out a, a yell of jubilation and began to urge us on. And then my man Dave jumped into the river. So I'm there all alone. And I know at that point I have to jump. I have to jump. Destiny was sealed there. And so I scooted the edge of the pylon. I took an inordinately long amount of time, but eventually I decided to suspend my fears and to surrender to that leap. And so I jumped out and uh, crashed in the water below a few seconds later, went all the way to the bottom. I remember my feet hit the bottom. It wasn't that deep as it turns out and pushed back up and came to the top and it was it was great I mean I'll be honest with you it was pretty cool after I did it and just feeling oh, I did that and, and a lot of joy there um, but I remember that it's one of one of the more invigorating moments I can remember It's probably why I have a lot of clarity with respect to that memory um, I surrendered I made the leap I came out alive in fact maybe a little more alive than before I even made the jump um, but tonight we're gonna encounter I think it's a short one, but it is, it, it's, with, no, it's without a doubt one of the most powerful and heartfelt and difficult. It's a difficult one. Powerful, heartfelt, difficult prayers of the Bible. Um, it's one that a lot of people will never pray. Or if they do pray it, they, mm, they don't mean it totally, fully. Um... It's one a lot of people will never speak before the throne of God. But if you come, or rather, if you hope to come fully alive in Christ, if you hope to discover what a life in God's presence can look like, should look like, then it is a prayer that must be on your lips, at least written on your heart. It is, tonight is a prayer of surrender, a prayer of surrender. It's a prayer of Jesus. You've heard it. I mean, the night of his arrest, he and, and the eleven, you know, Judas has now disappeared into the night. He'll show up later. But he and the eleven have walked over to the Mount of Olives into the Garden of Gethsemane. It's dark. It's late. We know that not only because the text tells us, but but because the disciples can't stay awake. I mean, they're falling asleep on Jesus. And really, he's the only one that knows the import of this night. Uh, he knows this will be the last time uh, before his death that he's able to spend time with these guys, with his friends, with his disciples. And so he prays, and you know, we're told in the biblical accounts, sweat drops of blood, just, just agonizing, just wrestling with God, his Father, in prayer, uh, knows what is about to overtake him. And the eleven, like I said, they don't know. And they're not, they're not marking this vigil with him. They're, they're, they're asleep. So he's alone in more ways than one. He's alone. He's alone because they've drifted off. He's alone because only he understands the betrayal, 
the physical pain, the emotional pain, the spiritual pain that his soul is about to experience. He's alone because the cross is alone his to bear. So Matthew 26, 36. I'm sure you know where we're going already or have a good idea here. Matthew 26, 30, Matthew 26, 39. He's in the garden. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground. I would, I would just, one little pause there. I wasn't going to say anything, but there are a lot of postures for prayer. They're not all the same. Bended knee, uh, bowed head. This is one. This is face on the ground. Face on the ground. His face is on the ground. And he prayed, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet, and I would just kind of put a circle, we'll come back to this, this little word, yet. Yet, not as I will, but as you will. And so this is a prayer of surrender that comes out of a life completely surrendered to God. And we'll get back to that amazing prayer in a, in a moment. Um, sometime back, I was at a, I mean, this has probably been in the, eight, uh, no, in the 90s, I was at a worship conference. And the fellow that was leading the conference, he just stopped after a, a particularly moving hymn of praise, and he just started talking about this idea. You know, some people, not everybody, and certainly not something you have to do, but some people will raise their hands as they're worshiping or lift holy hands to God in prayer, even as Paul talks to Timothy about. But they'll raise their hands. And he just started talking about that posture, and he's like, what, is, what does that mean? Why do people do that? And, and you know, there's not really a cookie cutter necessarily as to, as to what it has to mean, but he said one thing it means to people and has meant for ages, raising your hands is a gesture of, of surrender, right? I mean, uh, it's, uh, you th I, I think the first one, would, I would think of a bandit, you know, I want your money, and you raise your hands, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to resist. Uh, it, or, or soldiers surrendering to an enemy force that is, that is stronger or that has them surrendered. They know the battle is over. Um, and so he talked about that. He talked about that, that physical act of surrender. What you do when you surrender, uh, when you're outgunned, when, when you know the, the adversary is, is just overwhelming. There's no, there's no cause to resist or reason to resist. And he said, that's, what ra that's, that's why we raise our hands. At least one of the reasons. It's that act of surrender, that gesture of surrender. And when we worship God in spirit and in truth, sing the songs like we've been singing tonight, we really are, may not have thought about it this way or not much, but we really are raising the white flag. It's what true worship is. It's announcing to God our unconditional surrender, His right to rule, His sovereignty, His greatness, His legitimate claim of lordship upon our lives, His status as our creator, as our sustainer. I don't take a breath unless you give me air to breathe. I mean, just total dependency on God. And so we're, we're raising the white flag in a sense when we worship. And you could say a lot, there's, there's lots of sermons that could be preached right there, and you will not hear them tonight, okay? I won't do that to you, but, I mean, you can talk about His holiness and how we just fall and surrender before His holiness, confronted with our own unworthiness. His power, you can do 
just meditate on his power. The one who spoke a universe or maybe universes into existence. The one who, who set this place up. The one who gave us life. You could talk about um, our, our total dependence on him. So a lot of reasons. And, and so when you think about prayer, worship, those are two thi- the same thing in a lot of ways. Because uh, a lot of our songs uh, and most of the psalms in the Bible... Uh, their, their songs and their prayers. We're talking to God. Um, and so, those postures in the Bible, you know, a bent knee, raised hands, um, a bowed head. It's about surrender. It's about surrender. At the age of 35, a Christian psychologist named Dr. Jamie Ayton was diagnosed with stage 4 colon cancer and it had progressed into his pelvis. Ayton, and it's always interesting to me when you get these perspectives, Christian perspectives in non-Christian places. Well, he shared uh, in the Washington Post a little bit of perspective and I'll just read what he wrote. This is from late last year. I believe he's still alive. Um, This is what he shared at the end of last year. He said, For the first six months, whenever I asked, talked to his doctor, whenever I asked for a prognosis, all my oncologist would say was, I can't tell you that it's going to be okay. I can't tell you, Jamie. It's too early to tell. But if there's anyone you want to see or anything you want to do, now's a good time to do that. He writes, cancer wasn't the first disaster that I faced. He says, my family and I had moved to South Mississippi six days before Hurricane Katrina. But this disaster was different. There was no opportunity to evacuate, as we did before Katrina made landfall. This time, the disaster was striking within. He writes, I was a walking disaster. And Aiton learned that the key to both traumatic situations, the key to both of those was what he calls, quote-unquote, spiritual surrender. He explains, spiritual surrender helps us understand what we have control over and what we don't have control over. In a research study I led after Katrina, we found that people who showed higher levels of spiritual surrender tended to do better. This finding didn't make sense to me. At the time, it seemed like a a passive faith response. Fast forward to my cancer disaster. I vividly remember taking the trash to the curb one winter morning while praying that God would heal me. The freezing air felt like tiny razor blades cutting across my hands and feet because of the nerve sensitivity caused by the chemotherapy. Wondering if God even heard my prayers for healing, I kept praying as I walked back inside my home. Then, 
All of a sudden, I dropped to my knees and prayed the most challenging prayer of my life. Instead of continuing to pray for God's healing, I asked that God would take care of my wife and take care of my children if I didn't make it. This was the hardest prayer I had ever prayed. I'm guessing he's 35 or 40 based on picture I saw. For the first time in my life, I truly experienced spiritual surrender, spiritual surrender. I finally understood true surrender true surrender is far from passive. He says it is an act of willful obedience. Wow. Now that's some perspective, right? I mean, the humility and the faith required to reach that point of just, it's all yours, God. That's not something we hear about all of the time, is it? But there it is, and you know this, the Bible cover to cover is full of this. It's full of this. You can't miss it. It's, it's really, it's at the core of what a life of faith looks like, of how faith in God is lived out. It's Paul, Romans chapter 12, very familiar passage. It's Paul telling the Christians in Rome who are being persecuted, he tells them this. He says, Dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all He has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind He will find acceptable. This is the way to worship Him. And let's leave that passage up there, or let's put that passage up there. And we'll just leave that up there for a couple of minutes. I'll read that one again. Dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all He has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind He will find acceptable. And then this line is the one that gets me. This is the way to worship Him. I mean, that's a call. Let's just leave that up there. That's a call to surrender my body, but everything I am is contained in, in the walls of skin, at least at this point. So it's, it's a call to total surrender to acknowledge His Lordship over my life so that He can use me in whatever way He wants to use me. That, Paul says, that's what worship looks like. Not just a command, and that's what I love about it. There's a command there, but it, it's much more than a command because Paul gets to the motivation. Why would I do that? What would bring a normal, rational person to do that? Well, Paul says right there, doesn't he? He says, I surrender because of all he has done for me. Because of all He has done for me. Because of all He has done for us. I surrender because He has proven that He is worthy of my complete trust. What has He done for me? Well, more sermons can be preached there. We don't need to do that tonight. What has He done for me, for starters? He's given His Son for me on the cross. 
Uh, he sent his son to die for me. He, he proved to me, among other things, but especially at the cross, he proved to me that he loves me, that he cares about me, that he cares about my eternity, and that he's willing to pay any price to fellowship with me. And so Jesus, back to the Lord there in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was anxious. Maybe today we would say he was stressed. Probably more than that. I think he would ramp that probably a little bit more. Um, Luke says, or rather Matthew says in chapter 26, verse 37, he says he was troubled and sorrowful. Jesus was troubled and sorrowful. That's his state of mind as he prays. And I bet you've prayed before. I bet you've prayed in that state of mind. Troubled and sorrowful. Jesus' whole life, really, his whole life is one surrender after the next to the will of God. It is a, it is a thy kingdom come, I will be done sort of lifestyle. And so in the garden that night, it's, it's interesting. As I, I read that, I think of who's there. and I mean, you've got Judas, obviously, over there. But I think about Peter. I think about, could the contrast, I mean, it's just right there for the taking, the contrast between two men, Jesus and Peter. Peter frequently is not exactly a model of surrender. I mean, his Lord, his Lord says, you're going to betray me. He says, that, that's not going to happen. Uh-uh. I'll, I'll die with you if I have to. <laughs> Jesus is there in this posture of surrender, in this state of surrender that night. Peter's ready. Remember, he pulls the sword on the high priest's assistant. I mean, he's, he's not surrendering, man. He's grabbing his sword. Let's go to battle. And Jesus, on the other hand, Surrendering to the Heavenly Father. It's amazing, isn't it? The one who walked on water and who cast out demons, who healed every sort of sickness, who even raised the dead. Even Jesus recognized that there is great power and peace in surrender. I think about lots of examples to the contrary, including my own life. But I, in the Bible, I think about King Uzziah, Second Chronicles 26, who became powerful, powerful, God's anointed and everything, and prideful, collapse, destruction. Nebuchadnezzar, <laughs> Babylonian king, foreign king, prideful. God broke him, brought him to his knees. I think about King Hezekiah, same story, except he chose to surrender. Turned away from his pride, found healing, restoration. I love this quote. Oswald Chambers, amazing Christian writer, devotional writer, Oswald Chambers. He says that pride is the deification of self. 
That's a good one just to think about. Pride, the deification of self. It's me taking God's place. The opposite of surrender. So pride, the deification of self, the antithesis of this call to humble obedience, the opposite of surrender. And now here's something so critical, and we've got it there in that prayer of Jesus. So critical, so important, and it is that there is a difference. We were talking about, you know, someone's holding you up and you raise your hands and surrender. You're surrounded by an enemy, enemy army, and so your platoon surrenders. There's a key difference here, right? Spiritual surrender doesn't come from a place of fear. Spiritual surrender comes from love. It's a different kind of surrender. And so back to the Lord's Prayer. A couple of key words in this prayer. We'll put it back up. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My Father... If it's possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And let's leave that up. Because what, what, what I want you to see is how his prayer starts. My Father, there's the reference. This is, this is love, not fear. I mean, yeah, there's, there's some fear over some circumstances, some concern over some circumstances. But this, is, this act of surrender is an act of love. And you've heard this, and it does bear repeating, though. That word is that Aramaic word for Abba. That word that a, a small child, two, three-year-old child, would, would use to call on their daddy. My Abba, my Abba. That's the word Jesus uses. And so he could surrender to the will of God because he knew he was so deeply loved and deeply cared for by his Abba. He knew that the trials that were going to happen would not change that, would not alter that a bit. When I go through trials, when you go through a meat grinder, physically or emotionally or a family conflict that just tears you up, it's not that God, hasn't, God has stopped loving you. No, that's when you throw yourself into the arms of God's love. And so he expresses his desire, and I love that. That's so interesting to me, thinking about that. Jesus expresses his preferred outcome that this cup would pass. If that's possible, that this cup would pass, that I wouldn't have to die on the cross. I mean, you can think about that theologically. It looks to me pretty obvious. That's what he's praying for here. If there's any way that we can not have that happen, where I get crucified tomorrow morning. And back to that word. So he asks, he asks for that. But the word there is yet. Yet not what I will, but as you will. So we ask... We don't have to think about filtering. I don't know that I should ask this or say this. He's your father. You can talk to him. You can ask for what you feel like you need, what you want. The Holy Spirit is going to intercede as you're praying. Um, present your desires before your Abba. 
lay your situation before Him, go ahead and ask, but always from a place of surrender. Always from a yet, not what I will, but what you will. Because ultimately, as a believer, I believe that what He wills is best. It's always best. So as we wrap up tonight, what I want to do is, this will be a little different, but we're gonna, we are going to pray. What I want to do is uh, just lead us through a prayer of surrender. And so if you would, just bow your head, and we're going to work through a prayer of surrender tonight. And as we bow, I would just, this is, this is a prayer. If you're hungry to go deeper with God, with Abba, if you want to experience more closeness with His heart, with His desires, and if you're ready to bend your knee before God, raise the white flag. Proclaim His Lordship over your life. I think it's perfectly appropriate to ask for His help to do just that. So let's pray together. Abba, not as I will, but as you will. Father, I, I, I raise the white flag tonight. I offer you my body, my mind, my heart, my soul. This evening, once again, along my journey as your disciple, once again I say yes to you. Move into the dark spaces of my heart, the places of fear, the places of anxiety, the places where my pride gets in the way, the places where I try to wrestle control away from you. You are the Lord of my whole life, Jesus. You bought me with your blood. You love me. You set me free, and I belong to you. I trust in your name, and once again, I declare you to be my Savior and my Lord. I hold nothing back. Spirit of God, take me deeper and deeper and deeper into this transformation to become more and more like Jesus. I acknowledge tonight that I simply can't make that happen on my own. I'm asking for help. Spirit, I surrender to you. My body. My health my job, my family. I surrender to you my resources, my relationships, my abilities, my time management, my weakness. And I surrender to you my strength, my success 
and I surrender to you my failures. I release control. I raise the white flag, acknowledging your wisdom, your power, and your love that are infinitely greater than any resources that I have. I surrender my understanding tonight. I, I surrender my understanding of how I think things ought to be. And I surrender my choices and my will. I release to you what I think I know and my emotions and my fears and my insecurities and my everything. Lord, take possession of my entire life, my past, my present, and all the days ahead. In sickness and in health, in life and in death, I'm yours. And I was made, carefully and wonderfully made by you, to come fully alive when I jump, when I make that leap of faith into your arms, Abba. And this is my prayer tonight. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's surrender as we stand together and worship.